Lord, we do ask for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that today as we look at your word, Father, you'd be answering your son's prayer for us. In his name we pray, amen. You know, with the, uh, when the vaccines were first coming out, someone said this, They said the vaccine's trials should be done on politicians first. If they survive, the vaccine is safe. If they don't, the country is safe. Well, there's a tremendous amount of frustration in our country with some of the decisions that politicians are making, but not just that. It seems like there is a chaos and an upheaval that is on the increase around the world. And I don't know about you, but do you ever, I find myself sometimes watching the news going, what in the world is going on? You know, I think some of you probably feel the same way. And I would break that question down to questions like, is there some divine plan? What, is there some agenda that is driving all this? Is there some force behind what's happening And the answer to all those questions is yes. I mean, would you like to understand exactly what is going on behind all this chaos and upheaval that we're seeing when we watch the news? Would you like to know what God is up to in the midst of what is happening around the world right now? From time to time, I think it's good for us just to back away and go to certain Bible passages that help us understand what is going on and what is going to happen next. And one of those passages that we need to come back to from time to time to get our perspective is Psalm 2. And that's what we're going to look at today. In Psalm 2, we're going to see there are actually three driving forces that are determining everything that goes on right now. And so we're going to look at Psalm 2. You can, the verses will be on the screen. You can use your device or your Bible and brought your Bible with you. If you would like to look on, you can take the Bible from the seat back in front of you and look up Psalm chapter 2. But what we're going to see in the Psalm again is there's three driving forces that are determining everything that is going on. Number one, the first driving force is that of God the Father who is driving things to eventually glorify his Son and then give his Son, Jesus Christ, his promised inheritance. That's driving force number one. Driving force number two is the driving force of the peoples of the earth to be satisfied. And driving force number three is the driving force of Satan to make sure that the people of the earth find their satisfaction in something besides God's Son. Psalm 2 is actually divided easily into four parts. It's much like a four act drama. 
Act one. The curtain goes up, and the action of the first three verses of Psalm 2 is the leaders of the earth are rebelling against God and his commandments and his right to rule over their lives. And then the curtain comes down on Act 1. Then the curtain rises on Act 2. The second act opens with God the Father now at center stage. And he's going to respond to those rebellious leaders on the earth. Then the curtain closes on Act 2. It opens on Act 3, and in the middle of the stage is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has a starring role in Act 3. And the curtain closes. And then Act 4, the curtain rises, and King David, the God-inspired author of Psalm 2, is going to take the stage, and he is going to, in this last act, sound a warning that echoes down the quarters of time from his time all the way to the second coming of Christ. Now, the plot of the drama centers around this unified rebellion of the leaders of all the different segments of the world systems that are raging against God's decrees and his commandments, and they will not give their obedience to him, and they will not give their devotion to his son. So let's walk through this four-act drama. Act one, we'll call it Satan's Agenda. As the curtain rises, the people are in this uproar, and the rebellious leaders of every segment of life on earth are actually taking counsel together and plotting their strategy. Let's read it. Psalm 2, verse 1 through 3. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. So the leaders of the earth are challenging God's right to command their obedience, and they resist giving their devotion and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, we need to understand something here at this point. It's really been God's intention from the beginning. God made us to love us. It's been his intention that our souls would be captured and consumed and enthralled with devotion and affection and allegiance for Jesus Christ. It's his commitment that our highest development and our greatest fulfillment in our life would come from worshiping him and serving him with all of our heart and total abandonment. Now, as an inheritance, God has promised his son something. God promised his son that he would give him a bride, and that is the church, that a people filled with spirits ablaze with passion for the Son of God. I mean, the father would never insult his son or sadden his son by giving him a bride that is apathetic 
and bored and compromising. Now, Satan is aware of God's agenda. He's aware that God's agenda is to capture human affections and consume them with passion for the Son of God. So Satan has his own agenda. Satan's agenda is to raise up a passionate people also. But people who are consumed by passions for everything else and anything else but the Son of God. In fact, he wants to raise up a people, Satan does, that adamantly resist giving their devotion and allegiance to Jesus. Now, at this moment, these rebellious leaders may be promoting things like homosexuality or gay marriage or transgender lifestyles or racism or other sin issues. But Satan's real plan goes far beyond these issues. His desire is to get the people of the earth not only to throw off all godly restraint, but to get the people of the earth to resist giving their devotion and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Satan doesn't intend his perversion of human hearts to stop with this tremendous influx of indecency and immorality that's gripping not just our nation, but the nations of the earth. He wants to push way past that. He wants to push way past immorality and indecency. His goal is for the nations of this earth to erupt in boiling rage against God, against his commandments, and revolt against giving their devotion to his son. Make no mistake about it. First, what Satan's plan is simply this. First, he deceives the rulers of the earth. Rulers of different segments of society, he begins with deception with them. Then he begins to unite them around a diabolical purpose. He teaches them. He is teaching them how to devise clever ploys to capture public opinion and to undermine righteousness. And then he provokes them to overthrow all of the edicts of God, cast off all restraints of God's written word. And then he plots to erase these wise boundaries of right and wrong, good and evil that God has marked off in his word. I can just think about just in my lifetime, just in my lifetime, there's been the removal of Bible reading in public school. Now, most of the younger people are thinking, what? That really happened in America. When I was in school, in first grade, there was still Bible reading in schools, public schools. And that's been taken out. And then there used to be prayer every morning. Some of you remember my age and older that after the Pledge of Allegiance, there was a prayer. That's been removed. Since then, the Ten Commandments have been taken off of every public school in America. And now, there's even some who want those two words in the Pledge of Allegiance taken out that say, under God. See, there is this diabolical plan that really is behind this trend we're seeing. There is a satanic agenda 
And so he is working on these, many of the leaders of the earth to simply say this, God will not rule us. We will throw off his commandments and we will not honor his son. This spring, public school graduation ceremonies will be held all over the country. And speakers, valedictorian, president of the senior class, Speakers will be free to quote from any historical figure in their speech except one. There's one person that you're not allowed to quote. You're not allowed to say his name during that speech. When I graduated, I was, I was a senior class president of my class, and I gave a speech, and my, they took my speech, and this is 1975. They took my speech and they wanted to make sure the name Jesus wasn't in it. So this momentum of unholy passion is building. We see it every time we watch the news. Foolish, dark-minded rulers of every level and every arena of society, lawmakers, educators, entertainers, Advertisers, corporate heads, religious leaders, media moguls, and others are plotting to attack the holy commandments and precepts of God. So what they do, and this is the satanic agenda, first seek to dilute it and then eventually demolish it and get it out of society. So act one, the people are raging People of the earth are saying, we will not obey you. We will break your words into pieces. We'll cast aside your commandments. Right and wrong are what we say it is, not what you say it is. We will live as we please. We'll live for our pleasure, not yours. And we will not worship you. And your son has no inheritance on the earth. And the curtain drops on act one. As there's angry shouts and jeers of the wicked are growing louder and louder and louder, the curtain falls. Then the curtain rises on Act 2. We're going to call Act 2 God's agenda. As Act 2 opens, God is in the center of the stage sitting on a throne. And he's laughing. He is mocking these rebellious leaders laughing at their vain schemes and their foolish plots. Let's read it. Psalm 2, verse 4 through 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. So these foolish leaders, they think they've got it all planned out. They think they own the money of the earth. They think they hold the power. They think it's up to them to make the laws, whatever they think is right. They think they control all the world's systems and institutions. And God sees all that and he laughs. He knows they have no ability to resist his sovereignty. 
He knows he can blow them away with a mere breath. And God says this to these leaders resisting him on the earth. He says, I have news for you. I have already appointed my king on his holy hill. It has been established forever in the eternal counsels of the Godhead. The inheritance of my son is sure. People of all ages and races and languages and nations will be filled one day with holy passion for the son of God. He will have a passionate church whose affections are totally filled with him. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And then the curtain comes down on act two. The battle lines have been drawn. The people of the earth now have to make a choice. Either they resist God and his son, or they give themselves wholeheartedly in devotion to Jesus Christ. Everyone's on one side or the other in these days to come. Next, the curtain comes back, pulls back up, and it is act three. We'll call act three, the son claims his inheritance. Act three, when the, state, when the curtain comes up, the son of God is standing in the center stage, the anointed one. Son of God, son of man, king of kings, lord of lords. Act three. And he speaks. Psalm 2, verse 7. I will surely tell of the decrees of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, in this decree, we see that the Bible is not just about God's plan and provision for mankind. It's also about God's plans and provision for his son. See, we have an inheritance promised to us, but the son of God has inheritance promised to him. Our inheritance is the ability to experience both the blessings and the love of a passionate God. That's our inheritance. And we get it forever. His inheritance, the son of God, his inheritance is a passionate people. But he will experience his inheritance only as we become radically committed and passionate to him, to Jesus. So the father invites his son to ask for his inheritance. He said, go ahead and ask. Do you think Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could ask his heavenly Father for something and his Father not give it to him? He says, ask me. Ask me for your inheritance. And surely, verse 8, Psalm 2, verse 8, I will surely give. It's a slam dunk. It's going to happen. Just ask. And I'll give the nations as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth as your possession. Just ask. Right before Jesus goes to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asks. John 17, verse 26. At the end of this prayer, he prays to his father. He asks the father simply this. He He says, Father, I pray that the love that you 
have for me would be in them. He's asking for his inheritance. He's asking for a passionate people that love him like his father loves him. That's before he goes to the cross. He dies on the cross for our sins, absorbs all of our judgment. Three days later, rises again. Forty days later, ascends to heaven. And you know what he's, asking, what he's doing right now? On the right hand of God the Father? Hebrews 7, verse 25 says, He always lives to make intercession for them, for us. So he's asking right now. He's, right now he's asking. He's asking for his inheritance. And that inheritance is a people who are passionately in love with him. And whatever the Lord Jesus asks for, he will get. Do you want to know why worship is becoming so dominant in churches around the world and so controversial in some? It's because the church right now is getting swept away more and more with passion for Jesus Christ. The bridal metaphor is going to become, is becoming more and more the dominant metaphor in these last days. And do you want to know why missions will become more and more the driving force of the church around the world? It's because the Father has promised to give the nations as the, to the Son as his inheritance. And that's not yet happened. So Jesus has asked, and he is asking for these things, and he will get them. But some will resist. Some will resist it. And those who resist giving in their devotion and allegiance to the Son of God freely will experience his judgment instead. He will rule the whole earth one day, whether some resist him or not. He will. It will happen. It cannot be stopped. There is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, there's a day coming when, it will, when every knee will bow and it won't be voluntary. On that day, it won't be voluntary. Every knee will bow. Every political leader. Every president who's ever lived. Every prime minister, every king, every congressman, congresswoman. Every athlete. Every entertainer. Every CEO of every corporation. Every journalist. Every professor, they'll all bow. They'll all bow the knee one day. Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump, they'll all bow the knee one day. The Queen of England, the Prince of Saudi Arabia, they'll all bow. Oprah Winfrey, Madonna, Beyonce, 
Ellen DeGeneres, Howard Stern, Lady Gaga, they'll all bow. Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, and every pope that's ever lived will bow the knee and confess Jesus is Lord. Now, right now, it can be done voluntarily. But there's a time coming when it will no longer be voluntary. Every knee will be bowed. It will certainly happen. But in the meantime, the Father is stirring the church with devotion for the Son of God. He is stirring the church around the world to become passionate. Things are not going to be like they used to be in the days to come. You know, so many, I think, in the past have been invited to churches expecting to see some powerful, transformed, passionate people. But what they got, when they got in there, they discovered that it was mostly smoke and mirrors. What they saw instead was a church that wasn't passionate at all. They saw a church that was bored and apathetic and compromising. But around the world, all that is going to change. The church that Jesus Christ is coming back for will not be like it was in the past. You can count on that. The Father will present his son a passionate people, a loving bride. And that's act three, and the curtain comes down. And then the curtain comes back up to act four. Now, Act 4, King David himself comes out center stage. And he enacts the last scene himself. The author, the inspired author of Psalm 2, now comes on and he's going to say the last word. And what he's going to do is he's going to issue now a warning. In light of where everything is going, he's issuing a warning to all those who are foolish enough to believe that they can challenge God and prevail. Let's read it. Psalm 2, starting in verse 10. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son. In Hebrew, it literally says, kiss the Son, that he not become angry. And you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So again, the Lord is awesome in splendor. He's terrifying in his greatness. When we get a glimpse of his eternal splendor and majesty, we're filled with his reverential awe. And there is some trembling, appropriate trembling. But it doesn't stop there. We also rejoice before him as well. We rejoice because of experiencing his love and the benefits of our inheritance, his blessings and his love forever. But then there's one other dimension he mentions here, and that is kiss the son. He's speaking of this affection, being filled with passion for Jesus Christ. There is to be this intimate, affectionate, passionate dimension in our relationship with him. So there's the trembling, there's rejoicing, and there's kissing. 
By the way, I think sometimes people are uncomfortable with this idea of kissing Jesus, kissing the Son. But this is symbolic language. It simply means that our souls have been stirred with this, this adoration and affection and allegiance for Christ that so far surpasses everything else in our lives. So the king, King David, issues this warning to all who'd be foolish enough to defy God. What he's warning is this, time is running out. The clock is ticking. There's time coming. There's a time coming when it's going to be too late to freely bow your knee, and he's warning. There's a time coming when it's going to be too late to give your devotion and allegiance to Christ. There's a time coming when his wrath may soon be kindled and you could perish in your rebellion. So he's sending out this warning to everyone on the earth. He's basically saying, the clock is ticking. Don't let this happen to you. Repent before it's too late. Repent and turn to the son. S-O-N, son, and give him your devotion and affection before it's too late. So behind all this chaos and upheaval that we see when we watch the news, understand this. There's a satanic agenda. The Bible exposes it. Satan is trying to get the leaders of every segment of our society to throw off God's commandments. But he's not going to stop there. This is not where he's headed. This is not his final goal. Satan wants eventually to get people to adamantly resist Jesus Christ. Satan will try to get people to find satisfaction in something else, anything else, but not Jesus. But keep in mind, while that is going on, Satan's agenda is going on on the earth, and you can watch it anytime you click on the news. God's sitting on his throne, and he laughs. Because he knows that Satan's agenda cannot prevail. He knows his sovereignty cannot be resisted. He knows it's already been determined. It cannot be stopped. He will set his son to rule the whole world. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ. And it's just important that that we know this. We remember this. So when you're being bombarded by all the bad news, and you just say, what is going on? And you begin to get discouraged. Remember this. God's plan will prevail. God will have his way. He cannot be stopped. And in the process, the church, we're going to be caught up more and more in his passion for the Son of God. You know, our worship team is writing songs, and they don't even, I don't even think they realize that they're being caught. Why are they writing songs? Because they're being caught up in this passion. We're being caught up more and more in this passion for the Son of God. Why? Because the Father's fanning the flame and answering the prayer of the Son. They give him a passionate people as his inheritance. And also we're going to see more and more of this missions trend. Why? Because the, the promises that give the nations to the son as his inheritance. That has not yet happened. There's much work still to do. So as we kind of come to a close of this message, the psalmist ends by basically challenging everyone. Have you rightly aligned yourself with the son, with Christ? Does Jesus Christ have your allegiance and devotion and affection above everything else? Does he have it? Are you rightly aligned with him? That's what the psalmist wants to ask as we close. 
I want to invite Hosea up. His closing song. Hosea and I had, I guess it was about a year and a half ago now that we're going on two years, ministered together in Madagascar, pastor's conference there, 550 pastors. Hosea did the translation and much of the worship leading. But there's a song we're about to sing. The name of the song is Waymaker. The song is out of Africa. It's out of Nigeria. And it took Madagascar by storm, the churches. In fact, during the conference, the different, worship, different churches would have their worship teams come and lead us in worship before the teaching sessions. And all the worship teams, whatever their set was, they all had this song in it. Let's stand. As we sing this song, some of you, in all honesty, might just, this is a time for you to repent. This is a time to say, you're not right with the Lord. You have not given your devotion and allegiance and affection to Christ. And so I urge you, along with King David, do it before it's too late. One of the ways you can just say, say yes to that is say, I'm going to come down and just, this is like an altar. I'm giving my life to Christ today. Now, some of you have already done that. You gave your life to Christ, but in all honesty, some other things have kind of trumped him and become higher in your level of satisfaction that you find than in him. And so you need to repent from that today and say, Lord, I got things out of kilter and I'm putting you back on top. Just come down and repent. Some of you are just saying, Lord, I just want to come down here because I just want to say yes to you that you are everything to me. I love you. I'm passionate for you. So you might just want to come down and just give your heart stint for that. So as we sing this song, let's just really focus on Jesus right now. Father, I ask you to fan the flame to answer your son's prayer. Father, I ask you to fan the flame in all of us. Answer your son's prayer, Father. We ask you that the love you have for him, him would be in us. Even during this song, Lord, would you do something so powerful that none of us are untouched? Fan the flame for the Son of God, passion for the Son, even right now.
the flame father fan the flame in our hearts of love and passion for the son of god we pray lord you speed things up lord where the church is a passionate people lord you do that work in us here in this room and those that are all part of our church family but you do that lord throughout this country and you do it throughout the nations of the world we ask you to speed up oh lord the giving of your son his inheritance fan the flame in us oh lord I pray, O oh Lord, it would only build from this day on. It would only build, Lord, as we go out of this place, as we live this week, Lord, that the passion for Christ would build in us, that the flame would burn hotter and, 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 and continue to be just contagious, Lord, in all of our relationships. In the name of Jesus.